0: It's a couple times but I got the mic so we're gonna we're gonna try it again he is risen it hurt on his hand somehow let's let's do one more time together he is risen there's something that stirs in me I I was thinking about it this morning Um, when I was so I you guys know I grew up in in Minneapolis and when I was eight the the twins went to the World Series this is not a sermon about baseball I promise you but most of Minnesota loves the twins my dad my grandpa were huge twins fans and so I'm an eight-year-old who absolutely loves baseball I I was a Yankee fan already but I kind of I'm loving this experience of watching the whole city I never known what a was like to grow up in a city where somebody won something like minnesota loses everything its own elections i think it loses and but they're winning this and as they're winning like fans are starting to believe maybe we'll win and i think it was about august of that year all of a sudden this this kleenex started to be printed by the newspaper that was called a homer hanky And all the fans, if you remember watching games, like they have them all over the place now. But this was kind of early. All the fans would wave this Star Tribune printed hanky in the air to, I don't know what it did. It just made us feel good. And we all had these hankies. And I had like four hankies that came with the Sunday newspaper. And then they realized they could sell them. So then they started to sell them and not give them for free anymore. And I was so enamored with this being a part of something that was celebratory that for Halloween that year, I got two pieces of poster board and went as a Homer hanky around the neighborhood. And it wasn't even my team. I just wanted to be a part of something that was like, we're winning, you know? I think for a lot of years, Easter was a little bit like that for me. Like, oh, maybe we're winning. Like for a Sunday, maybe we're winning. And when I hear that he has risen, he has risen indeed. Often I, I was like, oh, I, I don't even know the whole weight of that. I just feel like maybe we win. Maybe there's a win here. But I think there is even more to that. And a question that I have for you today as we start that we're going to kind of look at through the very first Easter is where is it in your life, what part of your life do you want to experience the Risen One? Where is it in your life that you want to know that He's risen? In fact, He's risen indeed, which is like super risen, right? Where do we want to know that? Is it in your body? Is it in your memory? Is it in your circumstances? What, what, I think Jesus is good enough that we can be honest. And I know that opens up a whole bunch of other questions that follow, but I kind of like questions, so we're going to start with that one. Where is it this Easter that you want to know and encounter the Risen One? So we're going to look at the first Easter starting in Luke 24. If you've got a device or a Bible or... it's, It's not a bad verse to just close your eyes and imagine either. Um... I'm going to read 13 through 16 to start us off. And it says this, Now on that same day, that same day being Easter, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay. There's a ton going on in just these few verses. We're not going to get all of it, but a couple things. Jesus could not be recognized. They didn't recognize him. Now, some through church history have thought that that means, like, the resurrected body looks totally different, and there's not really a body, and it gets this whole, like, separation of spirit and body. I don't think that's what's going on. I also don't think it's the kind of thing where he's putting on Clark Kent glasses, and, and like, he, like, they just don't know. I just think there's something to, in that moment, I'm really okay with mystery. I think there's something mysterious where they don't recognize them, but I also don't think they're looking for them. I think that's part of them. Like, you know when you've run, you run into somebody that you know at a place you don't expect to see them, and then you can't even remember their name, but you, like, you were in six meetings with them last week? And you're like, oh, yeah, but I didn't know I'd see you at Kroger, and so I just didn't recognize you, and I didn't expect to see you here. I think there is something mysterious to not recognizing in this moment, but I think part of it is also for us to realize they're they're expecting just a stranger to come upon them, and, and that's how they act. But then at this point, where they are just slowly meandering the seven miles and Jesus comes up, how do you think Jesus would appear? What is Jesus going to do at this moment? Like, is he going to have a background dancers of angels who are like singing a song like at the birth announcements and things like that? Is is he going to be like at the transfiguration where he's glowing and like bedazzled? Is it going to be some really proud and tweetable statement that he says that they're going to remember forever? It's interesting that what, what Jesus does is Jesus just simply asks a question. He asks a question and says, ultimately, he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? He just comes upon two people walking and is like, hey, what are you all discussing? What's going on? So then we, we see that this guy, Cleopas and his friend, they explain. If you read the next few verses, they say that, or to, I don't know how you don't know. You're the only one around here who doesn't know. But Jesus is this mighty prophet. And our leaders handed him over for crucifixion. Then, if you read further down, it's really interesting. He says "And some, some of the women who are with us, they went to the grave and he, he wasn't there. And then some of the disciples went and he wasn't there. And they seem curious about all of that. But it all seems kind of irrelevant at the same time. I mean, it's strange that he's not there, but I don't know. I'm just walking home. And the reason is because the, the high point was not that he was crucified. The high point was not that his body wasn't in the grave. The high point of this whole thing that they say to Jesus is they say, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped, past tense. And now we're slow walking home. We're wrong. See if there's a, if there's a Sunday that is like happy, happy. That's how Anna used to say it. There's happy, and then there's happy, happy. If there's this Sunday that's to be happy, happy, it's Easter, right? But sometimes we feel it like I had that Homer Hanky where it's all like disconnected to us, and we get excited and happy for a little while, and then we just wander home and forget what happiness about. We can be super happy, but we don't want to skip Friday and Saturday and the fact that sometimes our life looks more like Friday and Saturday than it does Sunday. We can try to drown it out or, or pretend it's not real, but part of the joy of Easter is that you don't have to do that. Part of the real joy of Easter is that whatever you walk in with, Christ has risen for. All of it. All the circumstances, all the past, all the present, all the everything, he's risen for it. Easter is for those who have hoped past tense, even if that's on Easter morning. It's for those who hold up and ache for the kingdom of God, hoping with everything that they have and then they turn around for their seven-mile walk back into the ordinary life and experience hope in a bit of past tense. If you feel that, Easter's for you. So Jesus responds to Mr. Cleo and his friend. We we see it in, in verse 25. He says to them, oh, how foolish you are how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared he, he's saying "What well, it's taking you so long to believe that everything that was declared is being fulfilled here was it necessary that the messiah should su- should suffer these things and then enter into his glory then beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of scriptures they, they still don't recognize him and he's saying hey it, It's taking you so long to realize what's happening here. And and he, he, I mean, it says here, oh, how foolish you are. Now, that probably didn't feel good. But I don't think he's chastising and shaming because they walk right along with him. And they hear Jesus redefine everything from Moses on. All of the scriptures that they are familiar with. But they have not had the resurrection touch their understanding yet. All of it. He reinterprets for them what they've read in the scriptures, every single bit, the culmination of all the prophets showing that they have misunderstood the scope and the size of what was written about. And this is something that Jesus does often. He often comes to us and says, well, let me redefine this for you. Let me re-say this for you. Let me help you to see. One of my favorite points in in the Gospels is in in Matthew 13. People are asking Jesus why you teach parables. Kind of like a version of saying, why don't you just shoot straight and tell us what you're talking about? And he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, you will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But then he quits quoting Isaiah and speaks to the crowd and says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. And in the way that people talked at this day, that would be like a dot, 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 where they would then fill in the rest of the passage in their mind, the rest of the thing that he had just said. The rest of the part that was quoted was that then you would turn. I'm sorry, then you would understand with your heart and turn. And I would heal them. And so he says, they they couldn't see, they couldn't hear, they couldn't understand, so they didn't turn, so they were not healed. But blessed are you for you see. And blessed are you for you hear. And any listener there would be like, oh, and blessed are we if we understand and if we turn, you'll heal me. You'll heal us. This is one of those points, again, where he's broadening our understanding of this and saying the, what the kingdom of God looks like. This is the same type of thing that's happening in, in, in Luke chapter 24 where he's explaining the prophets that mean much more than the, than the understanding of the prophets was. In verse 28 of that passage we get that the three of them came near the village to which they were going and Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So when he went in to stay with them, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning Within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures up to us. I I love this. So, first of all, typically the host of the gathering would break the bread. And Jesus is the guest, but for some reason, he's a very honored guest. So they're like, Will you bless this? That's what that is, right? That's saying the blessing over the meal. And so he blesses the meal, but as he does, something happens to their site where they recognize that it's Jesus. And the text says as soon as they recognize that it's Jesus, he vanishes. He, he's not like Houdini, but the text says he's, he's not there anymore. And they realize what well, the whole time that Jesus was talking, what our hearts were burning. Something was going on inside of us. We knew it was different, but we didn't know what it was different. But when we looked at that text, these texts, the scriptures, all that we understood before is different in light of Jesus being risen. Even the fact that we thought he might have been risen before. Once, once we encounter that he's actually risen, it's all, it's all different. Everything is different. Now it's funny that he came into the house because it was too late to keep going, right? They'd gone seven miles and I'm like, I. Ah. You can't get to the next place. It's it's way too late. Come in here, hang with us. He does teleport somewhere else. I don't know. I don't get it. It's. I'll I'll just say that's cool. If there's superpowers, that would be a good one. If there's something to experience of Jesus, that'd be pretty awesome. A face to face encounter, and then just a gone. But it's too late to travel. And yet when this happens, they're like, you, you want to run? Yeah, let's run. And they go all the way back to Jerusalem. It's too late to go anywhere, but they're like seven miles back. I got it. You got it? Yep, we've got this. And they run back to the disciples and the women, the ones who said that the tomb was empty. They go back to the same people. And they're like, did you know the tomb is empty? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we told you like eight hours ago. I'm like, yeah, but we didn't know what that meant. And we still don't. But we saw Jesus. He's risen. And they looked at him and were like, he's risen indeed. And then the third person was like, that's catchy. We should keep saying that. It all, everything changed and made more sense. But here's what's so striking about that. They're willing to run to town. Or at least like speed walk, like the people at Iroquois Park. They go quick into town to beat the darkness, but also to tell their friends. But nothing had changed. Everything had changed. But, but where they had lost hope hadn't changed. They had lost hope that Israel would be freed, right? And they book back into town, and Rome is still in control, and Israel is still in captivity, but God. But Jesus is risen. Rome's in control, but Jesus is risen. Israel's in captivity, but Jesus is risen. And this is our example for us. Everything in their life was met with this idea of the resurrection. Even death. We we talked about it yesterday at the Stations of the Cross in here. Death died that weekend. The whole power that death had, that it could loom over us and make us feel anxious about, like, okay, we can still feel that, but we don't have to anymore. Sure, we don't know exactly what it looks like to, to be on the other side of this, but we don't have to fear that anymore because that weekend death died. It gave its best shot to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit one-upped it, and then Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about anything having the final say. Hatred doesn't have the final say. Injustice doesn't have the final say. Lack and scarcity doesn't have the final say. None of that. This kingdom of God, this flourishing of everyone together, all creation flourishing, that is the final say because Jesus said so. And how did that happen? It wasn't this massive fight scene Like after Jesus died on the cross, he didn't go have this like epic battle where it's like ting, ting with swords, right? Jesus was in the tomb. And scripture is really clear that Jesus died and was dead. And then the power of the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the grave. It was the Holy Spirit who was like, okay, Jesus, now it's time to get up. Jesus got up and did jesus see things. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit that did that. Really important for us, because otherwise, if he did it by just being like a good sword fighter, we would then have to get victory by being a good sword fighter. Right? If he did it because he was a great fighter, then we would have to be a great fighter over death. I, jesus fought, I'm not... But this r- raising from the dead was in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we're told... To wait for the Holy Spirit, right? And then the Holy Spirit descends into anyone who believes. And then now living within you is breakfast and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so when we ask the question, where is it that we want to experience the risen one? The power to allow that to happen is right within us. Because of God. It's right there. So we don't have to be afraid to ask. So we can, we can say, okay, with the Holy Spirit in me, Lord, what is it that you're stirring in me? What is it that's set on fire within me like was with Cleo and his friend? What is it that you want to resurrect within me like you have in many others? What is it that I, I had hoped for in past tense that maybe you're giving me a new understanding of hope for today? Where is it within you that you are looking for an encounter with the risen? And as you go on your seven mile walks and you slow walk towards wherever you're headed and you're honest about the hope that you once had And you're honest about the moments that you hold up asking for the kingdom of God now. And you work through grief and you work through hope and you work through joy. All of that, you do that with the power of the risen one within you. Who calls you daughter. Who calls you son. Whose hope is that your life is whole. And maybe we'll know death before we'll know that wholeness. But death won't be the end. Whose hope is that no matter the circumstance, you can be honest of the circumstance and still feel joy. Why? Because he's risen. He's conquered all that. And it's not just this little bit of emotional adrenaline that we get from waving a hanky or saying a phrase. It's actual power. Actual presence. That's actually available to you and me. And so that's what we celebrate each week. This week, even more fitting with our our communion cups. Go ahead and raise your hand if if you would.